Hey, like I said, uh, Chris Willard is here uh, to share with us today, and I wanted to introduce him. Like, I, I know that when Chris was here, there are a bunch of people that knew Chris. How many of you were here when Chris Willard was our youth minister? Raise your All right. How many of you weren't here when Chris Willard was our youth minister? Okay. So there's a bunch of you that didn't know Chris from all of that. I want to just give you a brief introduction of him so that you get a an idea, a glimpse into who he is. He comes from a family that is served in eastern North Carolina, uh, and they have been dedicated to serving God uh, for so many, many years. Both his grandfathers were preachers in eastern North Carolina. In fact, uh, his grandfather, Mark Willard Sr., baptized me when I was 12 years old. Think about that. Uh, things come around, don't they? Um, his father, Mark Willard, uh, who preaches in Wilson, uh, has been a good friend of mine since I was a kid going to camp. So I've known this family for many, many years. Both Chris and his brother Jason are uh, preachers today, and both of them have been instrumental in helping to plant churches around eastern North Carolina, and uh, that is just their heart and their passion. Um, Chris and Jason grew up in Wilson, uh, and Chris met his childhood sweetheart, Lindsay, while they were, what grade were you in? Uh, I guess, what was that, 10th grade? I was in 10th grade, you were in 9th grade. Oh. It was because I uh, failed algebra, so I, I, ended up, I ended up in the same class with Lindsay. And that's, yeah. I told that story this weekend to the teenagers, yeah. so if you're, if you're failing algebra right now, it could be okay. It could yeah. be okay. So, sometimes failures can lead to successes, right? That's right. That's, that's great. And uh, they have been married for nearly 20 years yeah. now, and uh, they have two great children, Silas and Savannah, uh, teenagers that are with them uh, here today. Um, they have served here at Christ Church for quite a few years. He had other ministries before he came. But while he was here, uh, Chris really felt that passion for leading and preaching. And so he felt the call to go to Wilmington and plant a church. Several of our church families went with uh, the uh, Woolard family uh, and helped to plant Venture Church in 2012 so, wow, it's uh, been, a, been a while. It's been a minute. <laughs> it has been a minute. Uh, we partnered with them in the early years of the church just to help them get going. And they're getting very close to finally being in their own building. Hopefully, by the beginning of the next year, yeah. uh, this will happen. You know, even more importantly, they are helping to transform lives in Wilmington. So, what Chris is going to share with us today about mission and calling is something that he passionately believes in because it has been instilled in him from an early age and he lives it out on a daily basis every day. So would you give Chris Woolard a great Christchurch welcome as he comes to share the message with us today. Love you, brother. Thanks, brother. So I'm stepping up on stage right here, and Tim goes, hey, come stand next to me while I talk about you. Um, 
Wow, I bring you greetings from Wilmington. It has been a long time, 11 years since I was here. I was on staff for a little while, and I look out, and I'm seeing several of my old youth ministry students who are now all grown up with families of their own, and it's humbling, and it's amazing. I had the opportunity to come and speak uh, at this uh, event this weekend to a bunch of teenagers, and Man, it just, it just never ceases to amaze me how the kingdom of God pairs together and how we work in conjunction with one another to build family. That's what we are. And so as I come to you this morning, it's not just as some guest speaker or some guy from out of town because Tim wanted a week off or something. No, it's good. I get to come in from the same family heritage that we're all a part of and get to talk about what we're all here to do together. And so I bring you greetings. I will tell you something that happened this morning. So we had this phrase we use at Venture Church in Wilmington. We call it hashtag church planting. That means if the wheels can fall off, they already have. And so this morning, our youth minister, Perry, was down there. Some of you might know Perry Garza. He actually grew up in Greenville. And uh, he called me at about 7.05 this morning. He got to the YMCA where we've been meeting for most of the last nine years. And he said, hey, man, the power's out on the whole block. Uh... What do you think we should do? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I just woke up. Thanks for that. Um, and so I called him and called a couple of people. And so we had a whole plan. I'm like, well, hashtag church planting. We're just going to move forward. Uh, we were one, one morning, we showed up at the Y, and it was on fire. And there were fire trucks. And that, that kicked us out for four years. Like, this is not our first rodeo. Power's out. Pff, bring it on. Uh, so we've made this whole plan. We're doing church outside. Some of you know Aaron Collins. He's down there, uh, grew up at this church, and he leads worship for us a lot down there. And I called Aaron. He was on to lead worship this morning. I said, are you up for a challenge? He said, yeah. So they had a whole church in the parking lot thing planned. And then about 7.20, Perry called me back and said, dude, the power just came back on. I was like, asking you shall receive. So uh, it, it is great to be with you. I really enjoy being with you uh, this weekend with some of your students. Uh, where are my students from this past weekend? If you were here this weekend as an adult or a student, give me a little whoop whoop. Let me see. Okay, so you're everywhere. So watch out, guys. You're surrounded. We got you covered. Um, it was great to get to share with our students and just talk about what it means to hear uh, the voice of the Good Shepherd this weekend. That's Jesus. But this morning, I've got a message that I hope will take that one step deeper. And I want to start with just a little story. I think I was in about the sixth grade. I was playing some rec baseball. And uh, I wasn't getting a lot of play in time. I just wasn't. I don't know. It's like politics or maybe just because, like, I couldn't hit or catch or throw. I can't really, I, have no, I can't put my finger on it. But all I know is it was that day, and I wasn't getting any play in time. But my moment came. And this is the moment every kid dreams of or goes to bed sick about, because it was the classic baseball scenario. Bottom of the ninth, we're down by one run, two outs, we've got a man on third base, and guess whose turn it is to bat? This guy, yeah. Never hit a ball in a game in my life, but this is my moment, right? So God bless that coach. Uh, he came to me, and he was like, you know, we're looking, he's like, everybody's packing up their stuff, you know. We were like, this game is over. Coach leans in, he's like, Chris, the game is on the line, man. This is your game. And I'll never forget what he said. You can be a hero. And I'm not talking about a sandwich. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? <laughs> but he said, you can be a hero. This is your day. He said, I want you to go out there. And I want you to wait for your pitch. And when it comes, I just want you to crack it. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm in, I'm in. So I was all amped up. I'm walking up all lanky and awkward. And I get to the, the bat at the plate. And the first pitch comes, strike. That was fast. It always is, isn't it? <laughs> second pitch strike then I realized like it's now or never like I I might as well swing at the next ball because I don't know what it means to wait for my pitch so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna swing at the next ball so I do what every great batter does I just close my eyes <laughs> and I do a Michael Jordan close eyes swing I, I make contact 
tink, I hit the ball. And the crowd goes wild. Really, my mom and dad and my coach are like, go, go, run, run. Because I don't know what to do. I'm like, what do you do now? They're like, run. So I take off running, and I run and run and run as hard as I can. And I'm just, I get through first base, and I'm amped. I'm so excited. I'm jumping. I'm down. I'm walking back to the base. My parents are going crazy. It was so exciting that I totally missed the fact that the pitcher fielded the ball and threw me out at first base. And the game was over, and the parents are going to their cars, and that's it. Oh, my goodness. But my dad took me out for ice cream. And so that's not nothing. I, 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 was, I win. I win. Uh, I think we all grew up with this sense of um, desire to kind of have that moment where you can be the hero. Like you just want to walk into a scenario. Maybe you didn't play like rec baseball in sixth grade. Uh, or maybe you did and like you're still playing baseball and getting paid for it. So good for you. Um, didn't work out for me. But uh, I think that we do that in our life every day. We, we hope to hit the home run uh, in, in academics. You know, you want to get the... You want to get the good grades. You want to do well. You want to do well relationally. You want to, you know, marry the perfect person and have the perfect family. And then you want to have the kids that just come up just fine. And you're just like, cool, my kids are awesome. I don't ever have to, you know, work on that. They're good to go. And then you want to go to work. And you want to be the one who shows up at work with the best ideas and leading in the field. And people are like, hey, good job, Bill. Hey, Nancy, well done, right? You, you want people to be singing your praises. You want to be employee of the month. You want to have this winning feeling. But more often than not, statistically speaking, it doesn't go that way. It's anything but magical. You come home at the end of the day, you're exhausted. You're wondering where that sense of fulfillment is, that dream that you had in college or as a kid. And the pitcher throws you out at first base, and then guess what? You get to set the alarm and do it again tomorrow. Um... I want to talk to, I could have talked about anything this morning, and I just really wrestled with what it was that I wanted to talk about, but as I think about the majority of this room right now, I think we face something every day, many of us, that we're not prepared for, many of us that we don't want to do, many of us that we don't have answers for, and I'm going to be real honest, it's very simple, it's our job, it's our work. It's the thing we do for a living. And I want to make sure you know, I'm not leaving anybody out on this. If you're a student right now, if you're retired, if you're a homemaker, if you're a homeschooler, uh, whatever it is, if you're whatever you do, uh, you have a thing that you do, and I'm going to call it your 9 to 5. It's what you wake up in the morning and what you do. Uh, statistically, I said statistically, statistically a minute ago on purpose because there is some, lots of research on this. And uh, I looked at a couple surveys this week, and, and, and when surveyed audiences, when asked, what is your least favorite day of the week? What do you think the survey said? Monday. You ever seen a Garfield cartoon? Monday is a character in the Garfield cartoons because it just whoops his tail. We hate Mondays. Why is that? The thing is that we have got to go to work. Some estimates say that we spend 25 to 33% of our lives working. That's a third of your life. So you add sleep to that. What else are you doing? You're spending most of your life at work, over 90,000 hours on average. So the best of our energy, the best of our time. And so by the age of 30, an interesting thing has happened. Most of us have had six, seven, eight jobs. And here it is. The reason I'm talking about this today is that those surveys say that around 70% of people, the vast majority of people say, I am not satisfied with my life and my work. More succinctly, many people would say, I hate my job. I'm not going to make you raise your hand this morning. But my guess is you've had that feeling like, I can't wait till Friday. I live for Friday. I've seen bumper stickers. But I've got 
a shift of mindset I want to give us this morning that can hopefully take us in tomorrow with a different mentality. We might live for Friday, and that's cool. Um, but I believe that Monday is your mission. In fact, I believe you were made for Monday. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You can have purpose in your 9 to 5, and it can be 100% in line with what God is doing in this world right now, even if you say you hate your job. And I, I don't know if I can fix that today. But I do hope that I can give you some inspiration to move forward tomorrow with purpose and, and take it to a different level. So what if we made Monday our mission? You know, I, I want to talk about our jobs for a minute because we have a couple things that we call our jobs. Uh, we talk about a, a calling. And so a lot of people look for that dream job, that home run moment. Like, what's my calling? I feel called to do this. Really? You feel called to work at the, you know, Sheets gas station? Yeah, man, I just love it. I love Sheets gas stations. Good. But like most, a lot of people, like, I don't know if I feel called to it, but man, it sure pays the bills. Like, that's why, that's why I'm doing it. And so what is a calling? When you, when you look at the idea of the word calling, it's pretty cool. Because you probably think of it because you're church today. You might think of it in a Christian context. And it is a very Christian Word, but I'm going to give you another word that you might not know is a very Christian word. The word vocation. Do you know what a vocation is? Your vocation is your job. But the word vocation was originally used by the early church uh, from an old Latin root, vocatio, that means to call. It's a, it's a call. And so the idea is that I want to do something, whatever I'm doing in my day, as if God is calling me to it. And so the early Christians would talk about going to their vocatio, to their, to their call. Because my mission as a human being, is to make sure people know that God loves them and that Jesus exists. And so whatever I do, if I'm saddling horses or if I'm you know, working and making textiles like in ancient times, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my call. Because I need to make sure that no matter what I'm doing, people are knowing about my God through that. So that's what your vocation is. Historically, it is your call. Now, there's another word that we use for our job. We call it our profession. The word profession is also from the early church. People saw it as the way that they professed their faith. Whatever I do, I'm going to use this to profess what God's doing in my life. And so, yeah, our language has adopted it, and we use it for a lot of things, and it can mean, you know, what your career is and what you get paid for every day or what you're best at. You're a professional. But the idea is consistent all over the Bible, that whatever you do, that thing is what God can use to shape the world through you. I love this phrase that a, a podcast I listen to says all the time, that God sees the brokenness in the world, but what he wants to do is partner with you to put it back together. And often we look at people like Tim or like Cruz or like people like me, and you're like, yeah, we, we hire people for that. Yeah, we outsource that. We let people change the world. Uh, we do that by contracting, and we get some really talented people out there, and here's the best way to do it. When to fill up stadiums and put some really good communicator on a stage, that's going to change the world. But you know that doesn't work because you hear great communicators all the time, and you still struggle, right? So what's it like for someone who doesn't know our God? Well, they're not even going to make it to the stadium. What they need is someone in their cubicle every day, in the, bed, in the cab of the truck with them, swinging a hammer with them, punching in data with them, teaching in a public school with them, so that they can see through your life what it is that our God does. And so if you've got a Bible today, we're going to be jumping around to a couple of scriptures, but we're going to primarily hang out uh, from this root passage in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. And so if you've got a Bible, grab that. I'm fine if you look it up on your phone as well. Uh, the Apostle Peter writes this uh, letter of instruction to the church at a very rough time. They're going through a time of intense persecution. And so during this time, he comes in, he's like, I want you to know that everything's not lost. And even though things aren't easy right now, you've got a purpose, you've got a calling. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is where he jumps in. He says, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood 
a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Notice the word call there, by the way. If you were at the event this weekend, we talked a lot about listening to the voice of God, listening to the good shepherd. He's constantly calling us out of things. And one thing he calls us out of most frequently is darkness. Come on out of that. Come on out of that. Come on out of that. He calls us out of darkness and, and out of sin and out of worldliness and out of selfishness into what? Into his light and his presence and his goodness into the things that he can promise us uh, in this world. And in this verse it says that we were chosen by him. And, and to do a couple of things, the first thing is this. We were chosen to declare his praises. So I think it's very interesting that when we look at our careers and we look at our callings and there's a lot of talk about student loans these days and like what do we go to school for. There's a lot of conversation even about education, like what is the value of these different educations. And you can get a degree in all kinds of things, but God didn't call you for, to that. That was not his primary calling to you. He called you to declare his praises. That's the first thing he calls you out of darkness to do. Not to be a lawyer or a police officer or a teacher or someone who pumps gas. But first to declare his praises. And so what does that even look like? I've had some pretty spiritual friends. I got, I got this good friend. His name is Mr. Errol Stepp. And Mr. Errol is uh, in his 80s. He's been a great mentor to me. He's planted several churches. Uh, he's, he, I just, you seen Yoda? Yeah, I mean, he's Yoda, he's like, but he's like 6'4 and Yoda. He's also a cowboy. He wears like cowboy hats and cowboy boots, lives in New Mexico. It's, he, he's a stud, I'm telling you. Um, and uh, I look at him, and I'm like, I exist to declare the praises of God. And this is a guy, he's up at 4 a.m., he's got this little journal. He writes this tiny little handwriting, and he prays for like a 1,000 people. And I know that I'm on his calendar. I think it's the second Wednesday of every month because he will call me or he will text me. He's like, you're in my prayers today. This is what I'm praying for you about. What are you praying for me about? <laughs> And I'm like, what does it look like to, to declare his praises? Am I sitting in yoga pants, like on the front porch, like, uh, like listening to Caleb all day? Like, what am I, do what does it mean to, I am called to declare his praises? Well, yeah, some of those things, yeah, but not all of us are wired for all of that. Not all of that that's not everyone's giftedness. Like, that is a real thing. Spiritual giftedness is a real thing. And so not everyone has those habits like Mr. Errol has. What does it mean for me to declare his praises with my life? I would like to think that what gets me out of bed every morning is like, oh, I got a new Bible study. <laughs> is it 6 a.m. yet? Oh, it's like Christmas morning. I can't wait. We're in Leviticus today, baby. We're going to read that puppy. Like, I wish that would be what gets me out of bed, but it's not. It's not. Is it what gets you out of bed? No. What gets me out of bed is, I got things to do today. <laughs> I got to go to work. I got to take care of that thing, right? And I got good news for you. If that's what drives you out of bed in the morning, guess what? That's great. That's fantastic because our God is all about us going to work. Do you know that our God has a full-time job? You, if you think that keeping the universe in order and making sure everything is working and listening to all of our whiny prayers all day long, like if you don't think that's a full-time job, he's about it. And when I look at his work in Scripture, man, he gets up early in creation and he makes it happen. But then he sustains all things. And he's constantly moving his plan and being involved in people's life. And here's what I believe with all my heart. We were created in the image of God. And so the thing that God loves and the things that God exists to do, a lot of that is part of what we exist to do. You were made for Monday. God made you to work. You know what he put us in the garden to do? To take care of it. And then when he kicked us out, when we did bad, you know what he put us to do? Work. <laughs> Working's a good thing. 
The thing that takes away from our work and from our joy is, is our purpose behind it. What if instead of thinking, I'm a teacher, I'm a farmer, I'm a county employee or a builder or a contractor, I'm an artist, I'm a stay-at-home mom. What if instead you started thinking like, uh, is it Jake and Elroy from the Blues Brothers movies? This is old school. Some of you guys are like, what? I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm on a mission from God. What if you woke up and said, I'm up this morning because I'm on a mission from God. I got things to do, but not for me. For him. That's why I'm getting up this morning. What if instead you could say, you know, I'm a teacher. And the school system is a mess. And children be crazy. But I've been entrusted with our planet's most valuable resource today. Kids. And I have an opportunity to make an impact on their life today for the God who loves them. Whew, you frame it different. And it hits different. Instead of waking up like, I'm a farmer. Daddy was a farmer. Granddaddy was a farmer. And the tractor's broken. And the corn shortage, apparently. I just heard about that this morning. Thanks, Lance. <sighs> but what if instead you said, I get to watch God's miraculous creation as he brings life up out of dirt and sustain the life of people through food? I got to work in business. Oh, God gave me some skills and some abilities. I get to go make life a little bit easier for someone else today by cleaning windows. They don't have to clean them. And I get paid for it to boot. If we begin to reframe the way that we think is not just, I got to go to work, but I'm on a mission for God today. I'm going to tell you, everything begins to shift. I was hanging out with another youth minister. Uh, I'm not a youth minister anymore. It's been 11 years, but sometimes I still say another youth minister. I was hanging out with a youth minister yesterday, and uh, he was like, what's the deal with uh, youth ministers complaining about their jobs? I was like, really? I never heard about that. Um, and he was like, I mean, and cause it was great because we were up in the loft, and he was like playing pool with some of his kids. He's like, I'm at work right now. <laughs> I get to play with kids. He said, he said you know, I, I look at some people's jobs, and it's hard, man. I look at a, a guy on the roof. And it's July, and there, he's roofing. And look, and, and, and yeah, you might be a roofer in here. I've, I've roofed a little bit, okay? I roofed my house last summer in July. You'd be like, that's the wrong time to do it. Well, we needed a roof, and that was the time. Like, so I've done that. And so often we can, one way we can gain perspective is to look at what other people are doing and say, well, I'm glad that I don't have to do that. But here's the deal. That's not the point. What he was saying was this. I get to use my skills and my passions to make a difference in this world for people. I'm on a mission from God. One of the reasons that we struggle to make Monday work is because of the pressure that we put on Monday. And I don't know if you realize this, but I think most of us have the habit of looking at our job, and, and, and the purpose of our job is to fulfill us, to satisfy us. What's the most common thing you hear people talk about their job is like whether or not it makes them happy. Well, sometimes your job will fulfill you, but I'm going to tell you what, it will fall short if you're looking for it to totally fill you. It's incapable. It's impermanent. So it cannot sustain you. The money gets spent. There's layoffs at work. Production that you're doing, the thing you're making gets old. It's obsolete. Great. I met this lady. She was homeless once. I met her. And, um, and she was telling me about this amazing career she used to have working for Kodak. Making film. <laughs> yeah. And out of nowhere, boom, digital happened. And she, she bought a, one of those adult tricycles. And she drove from Pennsylvania to Florida and back. And I met her in downtown Norfolk. I'm like, wow. She's like, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm seeing the world. But like out of nowhere, your job can just go away. 
Some of you have experienced that. And so we can't seek fulfillment from temporary earthly things because they're not capable of filling us. And so what I want to do this morning is I, I want to take, uh, I, 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 I take a, a second to give us what I thought are maybe keys. And I've got four. Like, just so you know, this is a foul. You should never do more than three, okay? But I'm doing four because I believe in you, all right? And the fourth one is key to the other three. There are four things, and these are keys, I believe, that will really help tomorrow mean more to you. And so I think there's some notes in the bulletin or stuff on the screen if you want to write them down. I'm serious. These are things that you're going to need to employ. These are things that, for me, I, I've had seasons where I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I felt it during COVID. I'm telling you that because everyone's job changed during COVID. You have to continually refresh your brain on why you do what you do. And so there are four, and, and the first one goes exactly with what I just said. The first one that's going to help shift our brain to make Monday our mission is that we need to find fulfillment in Jesus. We need to find fulfillment in Jesus. Listen to this from Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. Do you know this verse? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. What does that mean? If God ain't in it, you're wasting your time. Because of everything I just said. You've got to have the backing of the eternal God to give purpose to what you're doing, or it's not going to last very long. So this is a verse I would recommend that you, you write out. You put it on a post-it note on your mirror, above your uh, computer, or in your cubicle, or at your workbench, or wherever it is. Because this right here is going to remind you who's in charge at your job. There's another place where in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, 12 through 13. This is really cool. Probably also one of the most misquoted passages in scripture, but I think we're going to get it right this time. In Philippians 4, 12 through 13, Paul's in a rough spot, okay? He's actually being imprisoned for his faith right now, and this is what he writes. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, but I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him. He's talking about Jesus Christ, who gives me strength. Incidentally, the passage before that is talking about how you can deal with anxiety in your life. It says that our hearts can be guarded. Our hearts and our minds are guarded in Christ Jesus. And so not only is he the filter and the barrier that keeps the bad out, he's also what's on the inside driving us. I can do this through all things. I can do all things through Christ. And this is the passage that's been misquoted to say, like, you know what, like, I could probably dunk a basketball because Jesus is in me. No, it's like, he's not going to do, th that's not what it's about. This is about overcoming adversity and finding contentment. This is about making it through Monday for one thing. We've got to find our fulfillment in Jesus. That is the key to this. Monday is your mission, but only Jesus gives Monday meaning. It's not going to be that paycheck. I don't care how much you get paid. Have you ever gotten a raise and still hated your job? Yeah, it happens all the time. That's the reason your boss might have given it to you. I know you hate this job, but please don't quit. <laughs> We've got to find our filming in Jesus. So as you think of your nine to five, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go tomorrow, okay? You got to go. But when the alarm clock goes up, what I want you to wake up with is, okay, Lord, help me find my mission today. Where can you use me? Here's the second key that I think is going to be important. The second step to making Monday your mission is to make God's goals your goals. In the Old Testament of the Bible, uh, there was this time uh, when the people were exiled to Babylon. It's like the whole last third of the Old Testament. It's rough. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Ruth is in there. There's like, uh, not Ruth, Esther. And there's a, lot, there's a lot going on in this period of, of time where the people are, are struggling. And, and they're actually like 
really in captivity, most of them. They're in exile. And the prophet Jeremiah writes to the people at this time. And he says something incredible, okay? Uh, if you're not happy with some of the things in our country right now, I don't get political ever, not, even, not on stage or anywhere. So, but I will say this might be helpful for you. This is Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what God's advice is. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build your houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that, it, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, this burns a little bit. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. If you only understood how crazy King Nebuchadnezzar was. Babylon was a mess. It is a metaphor for sin in the book of Revelation. Okay? And what does God tell the people who are in exile there? Buckle up, baby. Make yourself at home. Build houses. Plant vineyards. Make a difference in this place. Because this is where you are. And so we spend a lot of time whining and complaining. And Jesus says, Shh, button it. Work. Show them how we're different. And this city will prosper. You get to prosper as a fringe benefit. All of that changes the why of Monday morning. You see where I'm going? Like, it's, it's not just psychological mumbo-jumbo. It is heart stuff. It shifts the way that I approach everything. The Apostle Paul teaches this, this way, and like this is probably, if there had to be like a, a core scripture for everything I'm saying this morning, it might be Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So maybe you're in a season where you feel like you're in an impossible situation. And I'm sorry. I, look, I'm not, I, I love what I do. It's, it's, there's been really hard seasons. I love what I do, but I know there's a place where you, you might not love what you do. I want to tell you, it is okay to cry out to God and complain to him. He's a big fan of that. He's your daddy. He's also okay with you asking him if you can do something different. Can I please do something different? And he may very well open a door for you. But we've got to make God's goals our goals. And his goal isn't always that we be happy. His goal is that we be holy. His goal is that we seek him. His goal is that we change the world through what we do. And I tell you, once we start thinking that way, a crazy thing happens. You might not find happiness. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians covers this very well, though. You might find something better than happiness, which is circumstantial. You might find joy. And I'll take joy over happiness any day. Because happiness goes away as soon as it starts to rain. But joy can stay as long as, as you can make it. Make God's goals your goals. And so we need to find Jesus as our fulfillment. We need to make God's goals our, our goals. And, and this would be the third one if I wasn't a rebel and going for four. So here's number three. And it's, it's going to be the worst one, so let's just do it. we got to uh, care about people. you got to care about people. Okay, if you hate Monday, there's a good chance it's because the, the people that you're with, you're like, I just can't stand them. <laughs> I can't stand my boss. I can't stand the people that I work with. My poor son works at Chick-fil-A, which you think is the happiest place on earth. But he's like, Dad, people are mean. It's Chick-fil-A. Like, this one lady was mad, and so we gave her her sandwich for free, and she cussed me out. <laughs> and I'm like, what? But, the, like, customer service is hard. If you work in customer service, everyone, can we please give them a round of applause? And also, collectively, 
On the count of three, we're all going to say, I'm sorry. Okay, one, two, three. I'm sorry. Be nice, okay? Stop being so mean. That's a side note. That's the fifth point. I didn't say it. Okay, <laughs> care about people. Care about people because here's the thing. As much as God uh, is pumped about the work that you're doing, you know what he cares more about? The people that you interact with. And if you don't know that, I'm really sorry that you haven't picked up on that yet. So I hope you keep coming back and that people from this stage will continue to tell you how much God cares about you and about people. We've got to care about people because when we do that, it'll start changing the way we approach our job. But often we go to work and we say, man, this job would be great if it wasn't for the people. But guess what? The way you act matters. How you deal with office politics and gossip is a profession of your faith. How you receive feedback from people is a profession of your faith. How you give feedback to people is a profession of your faith. I, we're working on a building here in town right now uh, in Wilmington. We, we, we purchased a building back in, in the spring. We're hoping to be in there, like Tim said, by the end of the year. I work with a lot of contractors. And I don't know if you're a contractor, but you guys are jerks. Okay? Uh, and I've been told, like, that's just how it is. I'm like, okay. And they're like, yeah, brother, I go to church. And then I turn around and see the way he talks to other contractors. And I'm just like... Look, if you're in Jesus, I don't care what you do for a living. You need to be nice. Treat people well. Care about people. The integrity with which you treat your customers and how you do your time clock and how you manage the money of the business and the business credit card and the business vehicle that they might let you drive. That's a profession of your faith. And it all is about caring about people. Because if you work somewhere, you're all on a team together and you're all in this common ecosystem of existence you got to work together on that, and you need to set the standard. I'll do better when my boss does better. No, no. You need a spanking. <laughs> you need to do better now because you find your fulfillment in Jesus, and your goals are his goals. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds. And guess what happens when others see your good deeds? They can give glory to your Father in heaven. You know what happened in Babylon? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. It was a rough situation. That crazy king, Nebuchadnezzar, was, he was out eating grass in a field because he was crazy. <laughs> uh, he eventually gives glory to God. Why? Because he saw how Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the other young men that were with them acted about their God. It works. It might not always work on your timing, but it works. Also, in Peter, 1 Peter 2.12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I know it's not a popular message, but you've got to care about people because the way you treat people is a reflection of what you believe about your God. Um, I said there were four, uh, let's review, find fulfillment in Jesus, make God's goals, your goals, care about people. The fourth one you're going to love the most, okay? This is the fourth one. Uh, the fourth one is this. You got to learn how to stop working. One reason you may hate your job is because it's all you do. You're a workaholic. You're, you're, your spouse and your kids have told you, or they've tried. Your coworkers may have tried to tell you. If they haven't, your body is telling you. You were not made to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Our culture tells us that if you do that, you're better, you're more successful. Uh, culture is wrong, again. Because when God created us, he created us to work and then to rest. And this is not a sermon about Sabbath rest, though I was, I'm telling you, this close to doing one. Um, 
but, uh, but this is a little sermonette on Sabbath rest. If you look at the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, um, there's, there's a lot of commandments there. Don't murder, don't steal, don't kill. Like, those are big ones. You know one of them in there? It says, and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And the modern church has done something vile, and I'm really sorry if I'm stepping on toes and maybe someone said something other than this, but this is I'm, my heartfelt, God-led conviction. Nowhere in Scripture does it say we get to ignore any of those, okay? But the one that we're the worst at, guess what it is? The Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is a whole Jewish culture thing. It's a whole big thing that we don't have time to even get into. For them, it shaped their politics, their economy, uh, their relationships, everything. You just do not work on their Sabbath day, which was Saturday for them. The principle of the Sabbath carries on, though. We see Jesus living in it strong. I mean, they believed in this so heavily that they would make all of their food for Saturday on Friday. If you needed to cut firewood to make food or do anything and stay warm on Saturday, you would do that on Friday. Not because it was a a religious, legalistic thing, and if you didn't, you're going to get slapped on the hand by God. No, but because God created you to work that way. You need to recharge. We live for Friday because we're exhausted And we can hardly crawl our way over the threshold to get into Friday or Saturday or when your weekend is. But God created you to come out of the weekend, boom, ready to go. To fuel up. To get ready for the mission. We've got to learn to stop working. Now, I know that our culture has got us to a point where we are nonstop. I can't tell you how many calendars are synced on my calendar. It's ridiculous. (laughs) And it's hard to take a whole day off. But if you don't, you won't survive. You will never love your job. You will never look forward to Monday. And I believe you're dishonoring your God. Because you know what he gave us as a gift? This beautiful world. And he said, enjoy it. Take a nap. That is your homework today. If you have a day off that you haven't been using, take your day off. A lot of you get paid for it. Sweet. (laughs) If you have vacation time and you're saving it until you're 65 so that you can get off two months early, stop that racket. Take a stinking vacation with your family, and go somewhere nice if you can afford it, and if not, stay at home and take a nap. It's built into most of your contracts. Do it, but not to honor your boss, but because your goals are God's goals. And you need to gear up for Monday because he's got a mission for you, and it's not to make the trinket that you make. It's to change the world. If there's anything that I can encourage a lot of you to do today, it would be to learn Sabbath rest. Now, you might not have a whole day. I get it. Some of you are working really hard, and you're just trying to make ends meet. And, I mean, you're my prayers. I'm telling you, I seriously, literally pray generically for that all the time. But maybe you got two hours that you could stop binging Netflix and just be quiet. Twice this weekend with the teenagers, you know what I did? I made them be quiet for like 15 seconds. And there was some of them that was about to bust out of their skin. We're not good at it. Take two hours to just sit and rest. You have five hours, like you get a half a day off one day or, I don't know, between two jobs. So this is something, a challenge I gave to our church family a couple of months ago. And, and I tell you, some people did it, and they came back to me like, this made a big difference. I said, seriously, right now, 
when you like now you can you can ignore me for the rest of the time honestly I don't care this right you can this is your homework assignment begin um, or when you get home by yourself or with your spouse or with your family sit down and for four weeks schedule out a Sabbath to the best of your ability if it's 24 whole hours what I'm talking about is that might mean you need to cancel something what? cancel something what will they think they'll think dang lucky Four hours, five hours. Sit with this person that you spend time with, your spouse, your kids, whatever it is, and schedule it. Four weeks. Four weeks. It'll make a difference. My family did it. I was uh, ashamed on week four. Because <laughs> week four we were like, oh, man, we got this scheduled time off. Like, we already got this other thing we got to do. And, like, we kind of did it. <laughs> but beginning to do that, I've been working really hard to do that for a couple years, to have a whole day at least that I'm like, this is nothing. This is a nothing day. And a little trick. I told you I wasn't going to do a whole sermon on this, but I'm going to give you another little trick. Uh, you need to find a thing that cues you, like triggers you. For that, for me, it's my bedroom shoes. When I put those on, you better know I'm not working. Don't ask me to do anything. I brought them with me this weekend, just so you know. Um, for you, it might be a robe. It might be a seat that you sit in. It might be a drink that you pour for yourself. It might be a place that you go. Learn to stop working. And guess what? When you do, you'll build a relationship with somebody that you might have been missing. Your God. And guess what happens? You learn to find fulfillment in Jesus. And then an amazing cycle begins to take place. Because you're being fulfilled in Jesus, you want to make his goals your goals. And you know what one of his biggest goals is? Care about people. Monday's your mission. I want to sit with my arm around you right now. I want to be your coach. I want to say, hey, bases are loaded. It's a player on third. But guess what? It's not on you to fix it. You don't have to hit the home run. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He shoulders the burden. You live out the mission. You can do this. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your goodness, your grace, this opportunity for my family to be with this family. I love my Christchurch family. I love being in Greenville. I love the purple and gold and all the stuff that goes with it. I love being with our students this weekend at the Focus On event. My good buddy, my lifetime friend, Lance. I praise you for him and Aaron and their family and for Tim and Christy their girls, and so many others that I just can't even say all their names right now. I'm looking to see in their smiling faces, and it brings me so much joy. I praise you that I get to be on mission with them, that they saw something in me and my family, that they entrusted us with going off to help start a new church. Thank you for the Venture Church family down in Wilmington right now, for Aaron and Perry and the team down there that are making things happen and <laughs> turning the power back on at the YMCA. That was great. Lord, from here, may we continue the rest of our rest. Whatever football game we're going to watch or lunch plans we have, I pray that in those moments we can just like have on our spiritual bedroom shoes and kick back and take a break. Or for those that have to go to work right now, like maybe they made some time to be here or they're walk, watching online right now, that, that they can find that time where they can get away and be filled by you. Help us to stop 
complaining about our jobs or hating our jobs or hurting in our jobs, but help us to find mission and make a difference for your sake. We pray in Jesus' name.